Romans chapter 3. As you're already there, Romans chapter 3. Let's pray together. Join me in prayer. We'll even take a, a brief moment of silence before I lead us in prayer. Lord, thank you for this great joy and privilege that we've already had in singing songs together and praying for our earlier prayer time this morning. Lord, would you help us supernaturally by the Holy Spirit in light of what was our laser focus last week, Lord, in light of the powerful resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, help us to see Jesus. Help us to see the gospel. Help us to understand the good news. Lord, help us by grace to embrace the good news, to embrace Jesus. Help us to understand the bad news for Jews and for non-Jews, like the overwhelming majority of us, Lord. Lord, we know that, Lord God, you rest far too lightly upon the church today, and so we pray that as we look upon your word, Lord, that the true weightiness that you rightly possess would rest upon us. We pray all this looking to you for your help with expectation. In Jesus' name, amen. You fearful saints, you fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds that you now dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Or another song that is probably more familiar says, Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Friends, with our Bibles open to Romans chapter 3, would you notice just those last four words in verse 3? Romans 3, 3. Notice just the last four words. What does it say? The faithfulness of God. We speak today about God and about His faithfulness. The chorus from that famous hymn that I just quoted, Great is Thy Faithfulness, the first verse goes like this, Great is Thy Faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not, Thy compassions they fail not. As Thou hast been, Thou forever wilt be. Look back now, not just at the last part of verse 3 of Romans chapter 3, but now look at the, at the whole thing. What does it say here? Not only does it 
bring to us those precious words at the end, the faithfulness of God, but at the beginning of Romans 3.3, it says, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? And Paul's answer here is by no means. By no means. Well, the theme that I would say for Romans 3, 1 through 20, I would say that the theme is the, uh, the universal nature of sin or the universality of sin. Or I like maybe this the best, uh, Romans 3, 1 through 20, although we are not looking to cover that whole section today of, of all 20 verses. The sinfulness of sin. The sinfulness of sin. Romans 3, 1 through 20, and we will only begin uh, today. Nevertheless, let's see what he says. Let's notice what he says there in verse 9. And this will help us. Hilt read 1 through 8. Look at verse 9 of Romans 3. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Verse 14, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. As a crescendo, to sum it all up, he says in verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. That we all would shut up and the whole world may be accountable to God. I'll stop right there. Every mouth stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. Romans 3, 1 through 20, the sinfulness of sin but just the first part today. The first thing I want to say uh, this morning from God's Word, and, and we always want to, to test it according to Scripture and to pay attention to the Word. The first point that I want to make this morning is this, is that God is just when He judges us. God is just when He judges us. But before we dive into that point, uh, which pertains to our section today, to our message today. Let me just uh, somewhat briefly give us a bit of orientation. Uh, let's, let's look at the forest for just a moment before we would look at the trees. And we've been going through this book of Romans. Uh, even last week, we jumped ahead a little bit on Resurrection Sunday, and we looked at Romans chapter 6. Shall we go on sinning that, that grace may abound? By no means. If you're a believer, you're in union with Christ. You've died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. 
But let's understand that we are, we're marching to uh, the gospel. And this uh, announcement of the gospel comes in verses 21 through 26 of chapter 3. Verses 21 through 26 of chapter 3 is where he, he gets to the good news. Uh, the good news, the gospel. And in Romans 3.21, I want you to notice this. He says, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, glance down to the middle of verse 25. This was to show what? God's righteousness. Verse 26, his righteousness. So when he does get to the gospel, when he does get to the good news in 21 through 26, what's he talking about? He's talking about righteousness. He's talking about the righteousness of God. But you know what? This isn't the first time that he gets here. He's actually already brought this up, and I want you to notice this. Again, we just want to be, uh, we want to get some orientation here for just a moment. Back in chapter 1, verse 16. In chapter 1, verse 16, what does he say? He says, I am not ashamed of the, of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's, that's you today. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in what? In the gospel, there it is again. The righteousness of God. God uh, weighs so lightly on the church today, certainly on the world. We saw that indictment in Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And so we could talk about the world of, of sinners, but also upon the church. We don't comprehend, we don't do church, we don't do our lives in light of the great glory and majesty and the weightiness of God. But when Paul wants to talk about the gospel, he talks about God. And when Paul talks about the gospel, not only does he talk about God, he talks about the righteousness of God. And so Romans 1.18 through Romans 3.20, Romans 1.18 through 3.20 goes together. And it talks about sin. Now, if you've been with us, you would be, you would be excused for saying, you know, some of this has been tough sledding. Some of this is kind of, is kind of bleak. Well, at the end of chapter 1, all of chapter 2, well into chapter 3, he's talking about sin. What does he bracket it with? With what is it bracketed? 1, 16 and 17, 3, 21, it's bracketed by the righteousness of God. Therefore, his subject in these and the intervening chapters is not only sin, but it is unrighteousness. He's talking not just about God, but about man. God righteous. Man, meaning, of course, male and female, unrighteous. In our sin. We must have the bad news, friends. Listen, this is not a mistake. This is not to lead us to a funeral or to depression or to gloominess, Romans 1, 18 through 3, 20, 
is the medicine that we need. It's the medicine that we need because we need the good news. We need the gospel. We need to know that through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you couldn't be freed from the law of Moses. You can be freed from everything that you could not be freed from any way else. And that is only through Jesus. That is only through God and God's righteousness. Your righteousness, my righteousness won't cut it. Our righteousness won't cut it. Whether that be your baptism or your church membership or your piety or your religiosity, it will not attain to the righteousness that God requires. But in the gospel, God gives the righteousness that he requires. In the gospel, God provides a righteousness. It is, I love this word, it is an alien righteousness. It is not a righteousness of our own. I'm not talking about Martians or space creatures, but it is an alien righteousness. It is an other righteousness. It is God's righteousness who is Jesus Christ through his blood shed on the cross. Do you see? Do you see how we're working up to to chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, which is one of the most amazing paragraphs in all of Scripture. But before he gets there, he speaks about sin. Listen, he speaks about unrighteousness, and he speaks about wrath. He's talking about God's judgment. And again, we've, we've looked at this a few times. You might say, these are some heavy things. They are. But he is talking about the wrath of God. And that's why I gave you that first point. God is just when he judges us. We can come up with all types of things. In fact, uh, chapter 3 that we see here today is all types of what? Gospel diversions. God, well, what about this? What, what, about, the, what about the crusades? What about this? What about, the, what about how Martin Luther treated Jews? And what, what about this? We can come up with all kinds of diversions, but the Bible and the gospel hems us in. It hems us in so that there is what? No excuse. There's no excuse for non-Jews, and there's no excuse for Jews. There's no excuse for me, and there's no excuse for you. We are all without excuse. God's judgment is just. God's condemnation is against us because of our sin. I'll say it again, point number one, God is just when he judges us. God is just when he he judges us. It's funny, you know. It's funny that we, as the world, end up putting God on trial. When in reality, because we are creatures, we're creatures and we're sinful. Therefore, we're on trial. But we're so smart and we're so inventive that we have so many ways of putting God on, the, on trial. God is in the docket. No. Many of you know the story, no doubt. It's one of those that's given to us in narrative form in the Old Testament, which is, of course, to say story form. You can find it. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, Uh, you don't have to turn there. 
but no doubt many of you know the story. The story goes like this, boys and girls, uh, older people as well. It was in the springtime uh, when kings go out to war. In the springtime when kings go out to war, this is what they did in the springtime. But on this year, not David. Now, now David was a king, and it says in the spring, if kings, no, no, not if kings, in the spring when kings go out to war, we very, very likely can read that David was uh, derelict in his duties here. At that particular spring, King David didn't go out to war. You know the story. Instead, he sends his delegates out to war. He is at home. Oh, how some of us, and I don't point any fingers, how some of us love our comfort. And comfort can be a gift from God. But picture David here. He's at home. He's in, he's in comfort. He's not at war. He's not at battle with his men as he should have been. And you know the story. There he sees this beautiful woman as she is on the rooftop bathing, and, and he desires her. And the story goes, the story about David and Bathsheba and subsequently the prophet Nathan who comes to rebuke him and God uses him. As the story develops, we won't get into it, David proceeds to do a really great job of breaking all kinds of the Ten Commandments. You know, you've got the Ten Commandments and he just starts breaking so many of them. And so he takes Bathsheba for his wife and he commits adultery and, and he murders and he lies, and of course, he's already coveted. And in all of this, he's not only breaking the law of God, which he is doing that. He is breaking the law of God, but he is sinning against God. And so in the Old Testament, not only do you have uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, but you've got Psalm 51. And God brings the prophet Nathan to rebuke David. And David realizes, he says, I am the man. In other words, I am the sinner. And so he prays in Psalm 51, you might know it's a beautiful psalm, and in Psalm 51 he says, oh God, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And so of course, had David sinned against other people? Absolutely David had sinned against other people. But in Psalm 51, against you and you only, we have all broken the law of God. But in breaking God's law, not only have we simply broken an impersonal code, we are rebels against God. We personally are rebels against a personal God. Now, why am I bringing this up? What in the world does this have to do with our passage here? Remember what I said, God is just when he judges us. Verse 4 of Romans 3. Verse 4 of Romans 3. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. God is not a liar. We are liars. We are liars. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. It's folly. It's actually really silly if you think about it, how we put God on trial. How could you do that? How could you let that come into my life? God, I, I, I've been serving you, God. How could you let this happen? Or, or God, how, how can it be right for you, God, to, to choose other people and to pass over others? Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, 
as it is written, Psalm 51, David, that you may be justified in your words. Listen, look at this. And prevail when you are judged. You see, David should have been at war. He covets, he lusts, he commits adultery with Bathsheba. He murders. He breaks all kinds of Ten Commandments. God graciously, God graciously sends Nathan the prophet. Nathan tells him this wonderful parable. And God uses the story that Nathan tells him to cut David to the quick. As I've already said, so David says, the the scales have fallen off of his eyes. I see now. I see. I am the man. I am the sinner. Have you ever, by God's grace only, but have you ever seen yourself to be the man? You know, this is quite opposite, right? This is quite the opposite than saying, I'm the man. That's not what we're saying, right? It's actually the, the polar opposite of that. I'm the man. No, I'm the man. It's me. You know, again, it's Luke chapter 18. It's the Pharisee and the tax collector. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I'm the man. By your grace, yes. Oh, it's by your grace. But thank you nevertheless that I'm the man. And then the, and then the tax collector, I'm the man. I'm, I'm the sinner. I am the sinner. Have you ever been hemmed in by the grace of God and by the word of God to see that you are the sinner? As Paul says, I am the, I am the chief of sinners. Have you ever seen this? What he says here in verse 4 of Romans chapter 3, he's quoting because notice it says, as it is written, he's quoting from Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a prayer for you in Jesus Christ. It's a prayer of David's contrition, of his confession. And what does he say? He says, Lord, you have dealt with me in a perfectly right way. Only when you truly see God for who he really is will you see yourself for who you really are. And that also works the other way. When we see ourselves for who we truly are, then we're prepared to see God for who he is. David has been brought to this point after his blind sin, after sin, after sin, his blindness, his his stupidity, sin is folly. Sin is folly. But he says here in Psalm 51 that Paul quotes, no, 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 you are right. If you are put on trial in court, oh, you will be justified. The justification of God. The justification of God. Well, verse 5. I love how verse 5 brings all of this together. And by the way, what I mean when I say brings all of it together, you remember what we talked about earlier, our look at the big picture, the righteousness of God, chapter 3, 21. The righteousness of God brackets our unrighteousness. Therefore, therefore, God's wrath, God's judgment. What does he say here in verse 5? He brings it all together. Look at this. I think it's really cool. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. You you see the, probably, like mine, it's probably in parentheses there. I speak in a human way. Let me just be clear, Paul says. What I'm saying uh, is, is not God's truth. This is not helpful. Verse six, by no means. 
for then how can God judge the world? This is one of the basic truths that the Jew accepted. One of the bedrock truths that the Jew embraced is that God was going to judge the world. And so Paul, speaking uh, in one sense mainly to the Jews here, brings their own logic, their own argumentation to them. He says, you Jews believe that one of your cardinal truths is that God is going to judge the world. Yeah, that's right. God is going to judge the world. Well, then how can God judge the world if this foolishness that you're talking about? It's like Romans chapter 6. It's like what he goes on to say here, if you would read a few more verses. He's basically saying, well, if this is true, if God gets glory, because God is glorified not only in the salvation of sinners, but God is also glorified in salvation through judgment. God's judgment is holy and righteous and true. And the character of God, the character of God is seen in both his judgment and in his salvation. None of us deserve his mercy. None of us do. And so the, this, this foolish, this, this logic here, what if our unrighteousness shows to show the righteousness of God? Well, we need to very quickly move on. Second point. Second point. God is faithful to his people, the Jews. Say what? God is faithful to his people, the Jews. The first point, remember, we brought in David in Psalm 51. That was verses 4 through 6. God is just when he judges us. God is just when he judges us. The second point is back at the beginning of the chapter, verses 1 and 2, and, and also 3 and 4. God is faithful to his people, the Jews. Then what advantage has the Jew, verse 1? Or what is the value of circumcision? Well, he asked that question again, if you'll glance down at verse 9. What then, are Jews any better off? No, not at all. Basically, what he's saying in here is certainly compared to the righteousness of God. God, man. Man is unrighteous. Man is in sin, is in sin right? Therefore, God's wrath on us. God's judgment against us. Against who? The world, right? Non-Jews. Yes. Jews too. Absolutely. What then? Verse 9. Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. You're not saved by merely being a Jew. You're not saved because, of, because you, warm a, you warm a pew or you've warmed a baptistry. But that doesn't mean that these are bad things. What, is the, what advantage has the Jew back in verse 1, or what is the value of circumcision actually much in every way? To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now let me just tell you, he says to begin with, which might make you think he's going to have a number 2 and a number 3 or a 4 and a 5. He doesn't. Uh, he picks this up in Romans 9. You don't have to turn there, but listen. I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. But Martin Luther and certainly Paul, they, they hated Jews, right? No, 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 no. Paul didn't hate Jews. Paul said, I wish that I could be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brethren, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. 
And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. The Jews had all of these privileges. And what this questioner is saying in chapter 3, what about the fact that most of them don't embrace the gospel? It seems like the word of God has failed. Oh, that's great that God has given them his word. That's great that God has given them his promises. God has promised to save the Jews. But now you're saying that just because most of them don't believe he's going to judge them, that's absolutely what I'm saying. God is going to judge the Jews. God is going to judge everyone. And the only hope of rescue is believing the gospel. What if some were unfaithful? Verse 3, does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? I wish I had more time, but this, you have to read the end of chapter 2 to understand the beginning of chapter 3. As Hilt said, chapter 3 has some interesting and strange things in it. It goes right on the heels of chapter 2. Verse 29 of chapter 2, a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. Let me ask you a question. Look at me if you would. Are you a true Jew? Have you been circumcised? No giggles, please. Have you been circumcised by the Holy Spirit? What is called the circumcision of the heart? Are you a new person in Christ? Because Paul, what he's saying in chapter 3, comes right on the heels of what he said at the end of chapter 2. And he says basically this in the whole sweep of his argument. Listen to me. If you belong to Jesus Christ, if you belong to Jesus Christ, then you are a true Jew. Because a true Jew is not one merely outward. And circumcision is not outward and of the flesh, but Jewishness is inward. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. Christianity is heart religion. It is Jesus Christ religion. Christianity is the cross and the resurrection. Christianity is historically true. Jesus, the Son of God, came and lived among us, and he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead, and he sent his Holy Spirit, and either you are transformed in the inner man or you are not a Christian at all. And Paul says to the Jews here, he says, you have the law, you have circumcision, but do you keep the law? Do you obey the law? He says, only through the Holy Spirit, only through the gospel. And now I close with this, and you can turn there. I'd love for you to turn there with me. Philippians chapter 3, or just listen carefully. And even as we turn there, let me ask you one more time. Are you a Jew? Are you a true Jew? Have you been circumcised in the way that he's speaking about circumcision here? Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Do you belong to the crucified one? Philippians 3. And we close by reading, you know, we often go to Philippians 2 as a church. It's a great, Philippians 2 is great. Philippians 3 this time. Verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. 
therefore we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, excuse me, becoming like him in his death. The resurrection is kind of a big deal to the apostles, folks, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's you. Is that you? Glory in Jesus Christ. We are the true circumcision through Israel, through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the book of Romans. Thank you for your word. The Jews did have an advantage. The Jews do have an advantage Lord, what other nation in all the world, what other nation received your word, your oracles, your revelation? No one except your chosen people. We might say today, Lord, thank you for the Bible. Oh God, transform us. Lead us to repentance. Lord, we don't want to just say that. Help us. Lead us to streams of living water to drink with joy in Jesus Christ. Help us in Romans. Search our hearts, O God. Do your work. Honor your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.